it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Red alert! All hands to battle stations! Engage! Captain Picard is a pain, isn't he? Interesting. No redeeming qualities. I think you should be destroyed. The great Captain Picard of Starfleet falls to Earth. Go back. Thou shalt most certainly die. Protect yourself, Captain, within destroy. We are dangerous. What can I offer except myself? You want to doodly doodly do this? Eh, if we have to. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to... Ah! Sorry, man. I like to come in strong. <laughs> welcome to Star Trek. Oh, you always come in strong, Woo! man, but... Strong and ripe. It's me. It's strong enough for a horse, but made for a woman. <laughs> And it is Star Trek Monthly Monday. It's the second part of our Star Trek Monthly Monday, the next generation part. And I am the strong Chris Honeywell. And I'm here with the not just smelly Scott Gardner. Powerful. The powerful Scott Gardner. <laughs> yeah, powerful. Powerful stank. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think it's I think it's quite appropriate that we both reek this time around because then we're right in line with the episode that we have to review. Isn't that a Star Wars character? A reek? Yeah. Oh yeah, wasn't that that big, the big red thing? Oh. I think. Yeah, yeah, I reek. think you're right. Reek. Reek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reek. All right. Oh <laughs> my god! Already, I can see where this one is gonna go. Defeat the reek. <laughs> Defeat that reek. <laughs> Wait. What do you got going on in the world of Next Generation? Any news? Usually this is a point where I go, ah, you know, I, I haven't gotten anything Next Generation. But I have. And I might have mentioned this briefly in another podcast. I don't know. I don't know what the hell. I talk so much, I don't know whether I'm talking and just talking to someone, talking to myself, or talking into a, a recording device. So, But I was at a... Um, local um goodwill store um and all the goodwill stores are getting really they're pissing me off because they're all <laughs> raising their prices and they're all starting to like i was in another secondhand store and there's like it was like the wizard of oz there was an open curtain into a room where there was a super nerdy character just like scouring ebay you know and it's just like oh everything's ruined and now all the the goodwills it's like there's their block price for paperback books is a dollar 99 and 2.99 for hardcovers which is just ridiculous goddamn ridiculous you know if you go to a used place so they went up they they should be like 
paperbacks should be like five for a dollar, right? They should be like twenty-five cents a piece, five <laughs> for a dollar. They're they're donated paperbacks. They have truckloads of them, you know, and yeah, whatever. But anyway, they're 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 two dollars now. But I was there when the green sticker on my on my book made it half price, so it was only a dollar. But I got um, a novelization. Star Trek The Next Generation Encounter at Farpoint. Ooh, by David Gerald. And I, yeah, by David Gerald. And I'm not really interested in Star Trek The Next Generation books just because there's so many of them. And I know I'm not going to read them. They might even be good. I just know I'm not going to read them. Or if I do. But this is like, this is a novelization of the, you know, the pilot episode. And to say that it's in mint condition is kind of understating it like the cover on it the is still has that sort of creased sharp look like the cardboard had just gotten punched out you know what i mean right there's just no softening of the lines of the cardboard and the paper it's weird and it has and this is something you know i've never discussed this with anybody if anybody ever noticed this before but have you ever noticed on new paperback books They'll almost have a little dust on the cover. Yeah. It's it's almost like a thin, op- like almost um, milky layer. It rubs right off. It reminds me well, a little bit just... of like mm-hmm. bubblegum cards that would have the bubblegum right. on them. I, I think it might be the same thing. As I don't know that sawdust is exactly the right term, but I always assume that came from the cutting process. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense. Just like little particles of paper that were stuck there by like static electricity. Static electricity, it's yeah, still exactly. got a little bit of that to it, you know? Little... Wow, it's spanky spanking. Yeah, know? yeah. And what? It's let's Let me see what year this came out. But this has got to, it's got to be about 25 years old. Yeah. I'm at least 1987 yeah. the year after yeah. we graduated high school damn it's the sixth printing of it <laughs> wow so it could be later this could be printed in the 90s you know if somebody had asked me how many printings that had i would have said one that's wild that it had six friggin print maybe even more than that that's I, crazy I, we don't think about it because we're old fogies but the next generation is really Star Trek to way more people oh, yeah. than old school Star Trek, which is weird because I don't think of it that way. I think of, because I think of, I'm still thinking of Star Trek fandom when we were kids and the kids that were older and the adults that were into it, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and say, like when we went to um, Dragon Con and saw the Star Trek track, that's what I think of as Star Trek fans. But the majority, you know, I mean, when, when I'm at work, you know, the kids from their early 20s up until there's some of them who are pushing 40 now, who so are almost in my age, are pretty much, you know, raised on next generation. Right. And, they, and even some of the, you know, quote unquote, people would not consider themselves Trekkies or nerds or science fiction fans know the names of episodes of of next generation and no and at the very least know who all the characters are and or will go oh yeah i remember that episode because it was just such a part of of culture so i could see how you know maybe uh, you know i i know nothing about sales of star trek books but i would not be surprised if uh next generation books dwarf um original series books in sales and stuff it's possible that the same there were a shitload of them i i want to say there may possibly be more next generation novels and tie-in books and stuff than there are original series i i, I don't know that for sure but something tells me that there may be because it just seems like i've run into far more of them than i have original series novels because next generation it just had it had more seasons and it had it it basically gave birth to itself in syndication you know Mm -hmm. which was smart which learned its lesson from the original trek but that means from the second it started it was just going even when a season ended 
it was being repeated and shuffled around and then when you had two seasons they would repeat both of the you know so you had this ever expanding um volume of saturation of star trek the next generation well, the other thing, too, is that, you know, like you said, it, it ran longer. It ran, you know, the full seven seasons, and then there were several movies. The big thing for me, you know, with Next Gen is that, you know, you know I love me my classic Trek and everything, but what's really funny to think about is for as long as classic Trek was around and as many adventures as there were between the TV series and the animated series and the films and all the novels and the comics and everything else, at the end of the day, we still ultimately didn't know those characters as intimately as we knew the next-gen characters. Right. Because with those characters, we, we really got more into their heads and, and into their lives well, the because you've met you know, their, their parents and their, uh, their siblings and you, know, you got to see their, their, their dreams and their aspirations and their, their relationships and their loves and their losses in a way that we never really got with, with the classic well, the, Star Trek. The format with was class- completely different. That's why they made it an ensemble show. They, right. they, I think they purposely avoided making the captain. I think they, I think they purposely made him a little weak, just to make him not the center of attention. And I think they, you know, I think they, um, added a Klingon in there, or or Data, so that that War for Data didn't become the focus, sole focus of the show, like Spock, you know, right. As, because both of those are so, both of them are very similar to Spock as the the anomalous character, which is hard to have an anomalous character on a Starfleet ship, because it's Starfleet's like inclusive of all life forms, but in you know the original series Spock was just a novelty in as far as pop culture went, and but on the Enterprise you know the 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 idea of a Klingon on the bridge of the Enterprise is novel and the idea of just a mechanical person is is novel and so i think they very successfully did that they very successfully steered it away from being focused on say wesley crusher it could have very well been especially starting in the late 80s like that when people love to do all the movies and stuff from the point of view of the kids you know spielberg style Mm-hmm. So I, I think they did a good job of spreading it out. Plus, they did continuing stories. So, or you know, at, at least acknowledgement and repercussions of earlier episodes. Right. That was a lot of it. Right there was that next gen right out of the gate built upon itself in a way that that TOS just didn't yeah. and and really couldn't because that was not the nature of the beast back then. It was episodic television, whereas by the time Next Gen comes along, you know, television was evolving, and that's what it eventually evolved into. Right, was a continuity and a, and a reality that would build upon itself and play off of itself. And you know, that's not a criticism of of TOS. I mean, I love me my TOS, but you know, this thought you know occurred to me years ago actually that you know, in a in a weird sort of way, as much as I am personally deeply invested in those characters at the end of the day of the core seven characters that we followed with the original star trek how many of them can you really say i feel like i know this person right. like like i would like i know my friend you know and ultimately if i'm honest with myself the only one that i could really say that i feel that way about would be spock because spock's the only one where we got to see a bit of his childhood, we met his parents, we saw him break down and cry, we learned on a very deep level what motivates him, what drives him, his inner demons, the the things that he regrets, and I think that all of these things, and those are important things, those are important and, touchstones in in developing a rapport with anybody, real or fictional, and you know the the other characters. You know, beyond uh, uh, Kirk and McCoy, the other characters were just there, so we never really got to know them intimately. And then looking at Kirk and McCoy, Kirk, for for all of his charm and all of his 
whatever that makes Kirk up, ultimately Kirk was very closed off from from everybody. Right. He he didn't let you in to his inner working. So we he really met his don't fam- know they were him. laying on the ground dead. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And then McCoy, we don't learn McCoy's re- uh, motivation until uh, Star Trek V, you know, one of his last appearances. I mean, he's in five, he's in six, and then that's it. So, you know, we don't really learn anything deeply intimate about that character, I feel, until that point. So, yeah, I mean, on a lot of levels, we never got to know them anywhere well, near forget, as well actually, as we did. Actually, don't forget him counter at Farpoint, right? He's in that. Right, I mean, yeah, yeah timeline-wise, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, even that doesn't really add anything no. to... That's the character so utterly other than the fact that out. he's out yeah yeah you know he's outlived everybody else but um i i don't think i think that the the fact that you know spock was fleshed out like that was not lost on them when they developed the next generation i think mm-hmm. they i think they decided that it would be but and i think that strategy made it easier for them to go you know many more seasons than the original show Right. Because it really kept people a lot more involved, and in, and in more in the manner of a soap opera or any kind of you know right. serial. Um, but they 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 um. And I and I think in that time period you started getting a lot of shows, that, and they they did some episode. They could do episodic shows, and then they could do storyline shows. Sort of, it got. I think it got exaggerated and picked up and and in normal TV shows with say like the X-Files you know you'd have some X-Files episodes that would be the whole conspiracy storyline and tying in all the mystery you know you had the cigarette smoking man who was sort of the cue of of that but then you would just have an episode where a monster would attack him and they'd figure out how to send it back to hell or bop right. up again and that would be the end of the show and uh, and I think that formula really worked really well in that time and uh, nowadays, it seems like they've jettisoned the the self-contained show, and and the thing that people want want to see is full out, you know, almost to the point of a cliffhanger at the end of every show, you know. Right. So, and I I think Next Generation was a definite step in that direction for uh, for just TV in general. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. You know, I wonder if that's part of the reason why people still tend to have kind of a, you know, they they tend to turn sort of a a sour eye toward, say, the first two seasons of Next Gen, because the first two seasons do play a lot like classic Trek in that aspect of Mm -hmm. just episodic TV. It's really not until the season that we're covering right now, the third season, that it does begin that build. Right. You know what I mean? Where where each episode, well, maybe not each individual episode, but the episodes definitely build upon each other and things begin to be referred back to. And there was definitely exploration of character. Yeah. And they, they just they just started. I mean, not that it, it, was, it was there. I mean, they killed a character in those first two seasons. Right. And then and then acknowledged the death of it of the character after you know from that point on and stuff so but the it, you're right it was mostly just sort of episodic stories and it was a lot more stories that sort of referenced or echoed back to original track too right and i think once well they, also they were you know they were getting a, a lot of uh inventory stories from star trek phase two the hell out of the way right. too and, and i think once they broke away from from that those ties a little bit and got into their own territory more that's when it started improving you know well that was the thing was establishing their own identity yeah. which i mean they definitely did that i mean they they definitely well, I don't think it was sure. a bad idea to start it out in the realm, not as much in the realm, but with a little flavor of old Trek in there thrown in, and they probably, right. you know, they probably did that to play it safe too with the old, old older fans, but, um, yeah, it 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 worked famously, and and the spin, I mean, 
there's a lot of adherence to Deep Space Nine. Not so much Voyager, but it still seemed like people watched <laughs> all of Voyager. So right. when you start taking Next Generation and those shows and adding all the seasons and episodes together, that's a huge amount of Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Compared to, and then you throw the Next Generation movies in there, and and then you compare it to, you know, the the original Star Trek, and it's, it's almost like a little, uh, you know... Um, prelude at the <laughs> at the beginning of the story you know which is great <laughs> right that's roddenberry's you know people talk about roddenberry's dream but at the, whenever i hear roddenberry's dream half of it is you know the world evolving into star trek and the other half is having a science fiction show that cuts you a paycheck for your entire life <laughs> and uh you know, it'll take three hundred years for him to figure out to figure out if he's gonna get the first dream, but he definitely got the the paycheck. <laughs> well, the scantily clad women didn't hurt either. That didn't that didn't hurt either. Yeah, I think he <laughs> I think he was hitting hitting up on that before even Star Trek came out. So I think he had that covered. <laughs> but well. You know, all, after all that talk about how great the show is, I wish we had an actual good episode to review. That's the that's the tough part with this one here is that, uh, well, sorry, folks. We just don't have a, a winner this time around, I'm afraid to say. Next month, next month you're going to have more fun. It'll be the return of oh, Star, yeah. Star Trek Next Generation Comics, and it will be um, a, a, a much better episode. I guess mm-hmm. is, is is being actually a little is holding back a little, but yeah. All right, so uh, yeah, so this one's called a matter of perspective. Next time on Star Trek: The Next Generation, a brilliant scientist is killed and Riker becomes a murder suspect. I just know he did it. He killed my husband. Was it a crime of passion? She's lying. That never happened. Or a violent act of jealousy. You're a dead man, Apgar. We both know Will's innocent. The verdict could send Riker to his death. On Star Trek The Next Generation. This one originally aired the week of February 12th, 1990. Damn, that seems like a long time ago. All right, so here is the synopsis out of the Star Trek The Next Generation Companion by Larry Nemesek. It reads as thus. It says, A routine stop at a science station is anything but uh, when the wife of the lone researcher accuses Riker of having murdered her husband, who was killed in an explosion seconds after the first officer's departure. Dr. Nell Apgar... (laughs) (sighs) had been doing research for Starfleet on Krieger waves, a potential new source of energy. Apgar's wife, Manua, is that what? I don't know. Manua. Krieger waves. <laughs> says, <I'm Apgar>. <laughs> says Riker tried to seduce her, and his assistant backs up her claim that Riker and Dr. Apgar exchange angry words during number one's visit. You got a stupid name, Apgar. By the way, I just want to point out, it really drives me crazy when anybody else <laughs> calls Riker number one. That's that's Picard's thing. That's that's his little, you know, pet name for him. It just sounds silly when anybody else says it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> other evidence... should just call them number seventy-three or something. Just to... <laughs> <laughs> other evidence shows that an uh, energy beam that struck Apgar and caused the explosion originated at Riker's beam-out point. So it really looks like Riker had done it in this one. That is enough for... I what is the name of the stupid planet in this one? It says Tan- Tan- Tanugan? Tanugan. Uh, whatever. The inspector from the planet, Crag, to expedite Riker. Convinced of his first officer's innocence... Picard persuades Crag to use the holodeck to recreate the events prior to the explosion. So you've got a definite... by Kruger Waves. <laughs> What's that story? R- Rashomon? Yes. 
Yeah, it's very Rashomon oh, at to, this point. Yeah. To it. yeah, that was one of my notes. We're on uh, Akira Kurosawa this month on Two Two Freaks. <laughs> one of his movies came up in uh, uh, growing up Star Wars. All right, that's right. Uh, Riker is finally vindicated after LaForge, Data, and Wes look into the mysterious periodic energy bursts that pulses through the ship. It turns out to be Krieger waves from the lab's ground-based generator, which is still switched on. Yeah, this was one of my big issues with this Grabby episode. Krieger from the doors waves. <laughs> Actually, the researcher had uh, already made his breakthrough, but was secretly trying to develop a new weapon he could sell on his own to the highest bidder. Fearing that Riker knew, Apgar aimed... Uh, aimed to disrupt number one's beam out with the generator, but the waves were deflected back into the lab instead, setting off the explosion. With Apcard's plot exposed, Crag drops the charges. And if that sounded kind of boring, well, then it was very apt, because this is a super It was no Rashomon, that's for sure. <laughs> it, definitely, it definitely was, I guess, inspired by Rashomon, but they, they were inspired to make it into a boring episode. Now, something I was reading somewhere said that one of the one or more of the big muckety-mucks behind this episode, and I don't know who it was, Mike or Pillar or more or one of those guys, I don't remember who it was, but one of them freely admitted that, yeah, this wasn't our best episode. It just didn't come out the way they wanted it to. And it, it, it just feels that way. It's, it's I, I watch it and... What's that? They wanted it to come out good. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's it's not... It's not a that... horrible episode. I, 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 that's just what I, I mean, it's it's sort of just boilerplate, you know? Exactly, it's, yeah. It starts out with a little, um, you know, scene on... Uh, there's so many scenes. It, for one, how many um, synopsises are going to start, have we read that start out with the words on a routine stop. Right. But um, they love to see the start out next generation episodes with everybody doing some sort of fine art, you know, singing or doing a play. This time it's painting. And it's a, an amusing <laughs> little episode where Data, you know, goes to all the students and he can identify what, you know, period they're emulating or, you know, the, the influences in their work and he praises all of them and then basically tells Picard that his painting's a piece of shit <laughs> and but, but tries to be nice about it, you know? So it's amusing watching Data, you know, go through his subroutines about, like, I don't want to say, you know, it's bad to say mean things, so I'm going to have to, you know, be like, oh, it's interesting, Captain. But it has Here's the funny really thing nothing to do that. with the story. It doesn't set a no. mood for the story. It's just sort of like they had that scene that they came up with and said this would be a cool little scene and threw it in there to flush it out maybe. Right. Here's the funny thing about that. Picard never paints again. <laughs> After that? Yep, we never see him paint After again. After a robot that. critiques him. What a baby, man. <laughs> We do see I him gotta cry say his later, art so. wasn't bad that bad. It wasn't that good. No, it wasn't good either. But it wasn't that bad. I mean <laughs> it's not as You could have probably got a gotten a job doing comics in the nineties, I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do get to see a bare naked lady's ass in this one. Yep, right is, out right off it's always a plus. Off the top. Yep, as much cheek as they could probably show in nineteen eighty nine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um God, I don't know. I don't really don't have much else on this one at all. I mean, it could have really the... been interesting how they showed how, you know, the 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 end conclusion like the less like if they all got together and and Data was like, "This is a lesson I learned from this one was that all of them everybody who had the differing story was sort of right." That's from the name of the title. So but they were all sort of self-serving from being from their you know each person's point of view so you know with Riker she threw him threw herself at him a lot more than Riker and the the husband from jealousy they were making out passionately passionately when he came in and so it was basically speaking to all of their um, emotional states the assistant you know she cited she took whatever story 
that her boss told her because uh, and all that could have been very interesting but it just wasn't there wasn't very much tension in the courtroom sequences of it you really didn't feel that Riker was in any kind of of uh, danger and man okay so they came up with their whole story on their own holodeck and you know their holodeck and their computers figured out all the stuff and stuff and they set up their case and stuff I don't know if I would have been buying it <laughs> at least not that well, quickly yeah. as, 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 as they did they are just like oh okay case closed you know your husband was trying to murder fake John Malkovich I swear I thought that guy was John Malkovich for a while and I was <laughs> like I seem to remember Malkovich was in a Star Trek episode somewhere and uh but it was not him every time I see this episode and I see that guy I think I know him from something but I looked at his uh his bio and I couldn't find anything that I had watched with him in it but he sure looks familiar to me Maybe because he looks a little bit like John Malkovich, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, he's just got that Malkovich, like, generic, annoying little prick. <laughs> right. Look about it, you know. Yeah, ex-science teachers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's it's funny what you say, though, because I, I was going to say the same thing, so it, it, I'm glad to know it's not just me. But, yeah, I don't buy the whole explanation at the end. It's like they seem like they're stymied by the whole case through the entire episode. And then at the very end, suddenly Picard gets a, a, a you know, a, a sudden bolt of genius and figures the whole thing out and puts all the pieces together and lays it all yeah. out. Sherlock Holmes style or something. And I'm going, wait, how the hell could you possibly have figured this out? Well, then at the, the end it blows up and then the holodeck is empty and all. It, it was just so dramatic. And it was just like, right. all right, so you bring me over to ship. You insist on doing this on your ship. You know, with your holodeck and your computers, and gal, guess what the result is? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they needed third party. You know, something or other. And actually, everybody on the ship knew that, like, um, that Riker. You know, that the story portrayed of Riker was pretty much not true because, you know, it's just it was out of character. It would be totally out of character for Riker. Riker's story made perfect sense in Riker. But is that true, though? Because I thought about that a lot. In the scene where we're seeing it from the wife's perspective, right. and, and Riker's standing there, and he's making the googly well, eyes, the and thing he's is... licking his lips, and you know, well, that's... rubbing his crotch and everything, and I'm thinking, you know, that's not far off from real Riker, well, though. The thing you know is, I mean? that's a, that's he's a horn dog. Well, yeah, but in his story, he's just like, why, madam, stay away from me. This is, this is you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So everybody's story is completely self-serving, you know, and, and is completely, you know, just backs up their point of view and their their feelings about the whole thing so of course Rikers is of course there's a little bit of the wife's story and there's a little bit of the scientist story and right that didn't get through Rikers filter you know right whether and and as they say in the show it's probably not a purposeful thing you know it's just that's human nature or sentient nature as as Star Trek would go since two of the three people were not human in the story but it's you know so yeah the Riker, the Riker probably was a little flattered and probably was charming the wife a little bit because that's what he does too and he was like ooh lonely space wife you know not <laughs> right. husband's not measuring up huh I'll it, you know a pity bang just cause I feel sorry for right you. And, and, and he probably didn't literally articulate that but in the back of his mind he probably thought that just like oh I think uh, I think uh, Akbar, Admiral Akbar's wife is kind of <laughs> into me uh, I hope uh... you know the, the most fanciful and, and unrealistic part of this episode is not the use of transporter beams or or warp speed, or Krieger waves, or any of this—you know—the stuff that we've come to accept with Star. That's not the most far right. out thing that happens in this. The most far out thing that happens in this is that you know Riker has been accused of making googly eyes at this woman and trying to offer her old man so that he can you know knock her you know you know knock boots with her. And his girlfriend Deanna Troy sits there and pats his arm and she's all right. understanding and everything. It's like uh uh-uh. uh. 
Uh uh-uh. uh. Women don't work that way, man. She'd be like, "So what? What's this? What's this? What's this bitch all about?" You well, know? Are they are they really giving him all? I mean, of- isn't she the one who's sort of like keeping him at arm's length anyway? And she was, and once again, wasn't she about goddamn useless? <laughs> in in, oh, yeah. in a situation where like that would seem to be her domain right there, you know, sitting there trying to determine who's right. At the end of every witness, I kept expecting somebody to turn to her or to her to just pipe up at some point and go, she's lying, or right. I sense duplicity, or whatever. Right. Nothing, nothing. And I'm like... Hiding some, or her does the standard go-to of their, their holding back with something, hiding something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe they finally caught on that it was better for her to just shut the hell up then deliver the obvious because you know right we, we've we've said this before how many times has she said something completely friggin obvious and you just want right uh like picard to do that slow head turn long picard just sits like, there, yeah and goes man it's good thing that they don't give us money <laughs> in space future because man i would dock her paycheck right now or i'd be like when it came time to budget time it'd be like why are we feeding Lieutenant Troy? <laughs> right. you know, should she be back at the starbase, like, you know, counseling I, rich people or something? I'm telling you, the, the scene that they needed all those years, the scene that really should have happened is at some point they're flying along at warp speed and he turns to her for something and she gives the most inane piece of advice like she's just always want to do something like, well, I sense duplicity captain and he goes just goes okay full stop all right get the hell out Mm -hmm. and everybody just kind of looks at him and he's like no 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 i don't i don't care that we're fifty thousand light years from the next get the hell off my ship i will i will write off the shuttle get aft just get in it and just aim in some direction and go yep exactly here's a transponder here's a here's a suit with six hours of air get the hell out i'm i'm I have a soft had spot it for you. just because I would totally that would if I was on the Enterprise. Unfortunately, she would probably be the woman that was interested in me. So, gotta, <laughs> gotta have some mercy on her, for my sake <laughs> in my mind. Oh, she could spend the rest of her career trying to figure your scrambled mess of an ass out. Exactly. Uh, let her let her try. She'd have to work and work and work at it. Did you ever see her naked? Yeah. It's not not nothing to write home about. I wouldn't write home about it either, but I would write penthouse about it. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought this would happen to me, but yeah, no, uh, no. Well, she she and she and what's her face, uh, Tasha Yar. They have the they have the same problem. Is that they 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 both look like they got a great rack, and then as soon as they take the support off, man, it's like boom. See, they, I, got the, they got the long, droopy pancake boobs going I mean, up. like, as far as, like, bo- now as we get into pure sex, the sexism <laughs> freaks, you know, there's nothing, like, Deanna Troy, I'm like, oh, I like her butt, or I like her boobs, or her face, or her eyes, or anything. It's just some, some, it might even be the annoying qualities about her. I don't know. There's just something, it might be, it's probably just, the, it's more the actress than the character of Troy. But there's something, there's something about that just sort of earthy. Yeah. Well, that there you go. What it is is it, I don't it's care, that's, it's like, that like scene. If, if she was naked and had the full seventies, you know. Um, um, no, no, no. I know what it is because I know you and I know exactly what it is. It's that it's just like that scene in Total Recall where they're trying to get him to be honest about the woman that he wants. And he says, demure. And they pull up the, the girl. And, and then as he's passing out from the drug, he says, sleazy. <laughs> and, it, and it combines together into that, that woman that's in the movie. Because she looks a lot like Troy. So I think that's what it is. You got your demure and sleazy all yeah, in one package. Yeah, maybe leading more towards here. the sleazy. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> Anyway, well, she just she strikes me as one of those, you know, she she tries so hard to be whatever she's trying to be, Miss Professional Psychiatrist and everything, but you know that the, the minute you get her in the sack, the she's thing. just a or a dirty dirty character ooh. character-wise, she's oh well, she's a betazoid, right? They're all about, right. they're all about that. You know, they're they're um Oh, what the hell were they're, they're like Zeltrons, sort of. 
Right, yeah. They're very Zeltron like. And if she was hanging around me, she would definitely be picking up on my vibe. She would, you know, he's hiding something in you know, his space that... pants. <laughs> <laughs> on that subject, why the hell don't we ever get Deltons on Next Gen? I, off the top of my head, I can't remember them ever even being mentioned on Next Gen. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think that that I don't recall. I I have a whole huge section. We'll have to just keep our eyes peeled for that. Somebody's probably end up Mike Petito. Somebody will probably end up writing in, going, "Nope, dude, you're forgetting the 46 episodes where they mentioned Delton's." Yeah. But off the top of my head, I can't think of the one. Yeah. Somebody, somebody will tell us. Somebody that would have been an episode to explore. You know, I mean, you've already got the whole thing with uh, with Riker and Troy, you know, being a, a and whatever you want to call it, homage or whatever to. Decker and Ilea. Right. Why didn't they do an episode where where Riker hooks up with a Delton and fully explore what they couldn't explore in '79? You know, with that, now that that might have been really because they they do use Riker to some really good effect in later episodes exploring you know questions of sexuality and stuff. Because there's a, a really good episode where he gets it on with this androgynous. Uh, I was going to say woman, but she's not really a woman. She's like a... David Bowie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually, believe it or not, it's actually a really good episode. Right. It's a, it's a really uh, solid episode. Well, remember, he was he was, uh, he was making goo-goo eyes at a Klingon lady. A nice Klingon lady. <laughs> right. Uh, That's right, yeah. Serving his little... Uh, oh, it was almost like, um, what do they call that in high school when you when you... The lunch exchange lady. student when he was like an exchange oh okay <laughs> yeah exchange student <laughs> she did look like our lunch lady though but he was gonna make out with her breath and all pointy teeth and fish breath and everything he doesn't <laughs> care he's Riker hey yeah he's, he's got the Kirk in him <laughs> and he wants to put the Kirk in everybody else <laughs> um, oh man speaking of Riker the, my favorite, the, uh, there was one scene in it that I thought was great. A great little piece of direction and just shot well. And that's when the prosecutor first came over, Crag, or whatever his name is, Krug, Krug, comes over. And um, he goes in to speak with, with Picard, and as the door opens, Riker does like a little sitcom like, <laughs> hey, what's going on in here? You right, know? yes, I saw that too. Sort of like, hey, somebody talking about me? <laughs> I hope I'm not implicated somehow in <laughs> complete <laughs> destruction of this space station. Now, do you think, I mean, granted, he, he just went through this whole murder trial and all that, and he gets up, but was should there have been some disciplinary action from from Picard's angle? Did did Riker actually do anything wrong? I don't think he did anything wrong. wrong. He 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 just did it. He went over there, conducted his business, and in true Star Trek Next Generation fashion, met with you know somebody who was either up to something or just acting. You know they they're always like running into foils who aren't enemies. Well, this guy turned out to be an enemy. But usually they're kind of bureaucratic and grumpy, and a lot of times it's Starfleet. But it, when that it's, you know, when we're going to meet with the scientists, and they're well, it's space too. So you have a lot of people who are scientists who are isolated somewhere. So it's like walking into someone's nerd. You know, the only thing that the about these space stations that I don't buy is they're not covered with like dirty clothes and Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> you know, old soda Doritos. bottles and gallon jugs of milk filled with urine from when the scientist is sitting at his, you know, station for 14 hours working on an equation. Cases of uh, of monster energy, energy drink. drink yeah, how, yeah, fly space flies flying around. That's that would be more realistic. But that's basically what they're usually running into. They're so people who have been socially inept or just socially isolated and stewing in their own juices for a while. So it happens a lot. And Riker's usually Riker's like he'll be the officious Starfleet. He was kind of he was kind of the officious Starfleet prick showing up. Right. But 
at the same time, he's ready to be Mr. You know, Mr. Happy or Mr. You know, easy, easy going. If it turns into that, but if anybody starts giving him shit, he gives it right back. He's he's not <laughs> afraid to butt heads, you know, right with, with people or not boots with lonely space wives. So now, did you buy the shit about the the hollow deck that this recreation actually functioned? I mean. That, I, I was wondering that myself. Do they feed this in like a script? Or, I mean, it would be easier for them to just fill out their scenario and have the holodeck play it out, which means it's not—it's just the holodeck playing. The holodeck becomes a tool and not like a computer simulation as much. Or does it... Or do they just have the general... I mean, if they were going to do a simulation of it, they would have to, like, upload the personalities of all the people or, you know, some sort of profile for the computer to to figure out what they're going to say or what they're going to do. And, I mean, these people were acting like actors in a movie. I would picture a holodeck simulation being more like one of those stupid um, animation movies that people post on YouTube all the, where they go to the website and they put the dialogue in and it makes little computer things with Stephen Hawking voices going hi how are you good how are you right. so I'm thinking it was just some you know everybody put their you know basically wrote the script for their scenario and fed it into the holodeck maybe through maybe the holodeck can do that through actual oral testimony but that would mean that there would have had to have been hours of, you know, each, you know, maybe they just out, of, you know, cut out that part. But there were hours of, you know, Riker alone in a room telling his story, the wife alone in her room telling her story doesn't really tell you how you hear the scientist's story. But uh, they maybe piece that together from other people's testimony. That's why this episode fails. <laughs> It could have been more interesting by showing those little wrinkles of how they did it or whatever. But that was, it was sacrificed for the story, which wasn't worth sacrificing anything for it to, you know, they could have gone a little more action in this one and not had to worry about sacrificing on the story because the story wasn't much of anything to begin with, you know? Right. Besides just a little whodunit. That's all it was. A whodunit as an excuse to use the holodeck again, which, uh, you know, I know a lot of people can complain about the holodeck getting overused, but goddamn, if I had a holodeck, I'd be using it for everything. Oh, I know everything. exactly what you'd be using it for. <laughs> everything. I would have my Lieutenant Troy subroutine in there. And then I would be able to report back. That that would be a great beginning of start the next Star Trek Next Generation Monthly Monday if I had my own holodeck for the you know, what do you have new Star Trek today this week? <laughs> I had a three way with <laughs> Troy and you know, eh, make it a four way two two copies of Ilea. No, 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 no. I think maybe it would be it would be Troy and Crusher in their space workout outfits. <laughs> in their sweaty gym clothes. I, I think I would be in the sweaty sweaty gym doing squat thrusts with with the two of them. <laughs> All right. I Walk it off. Done with this one. <laughs> the only other note I had is isn't Wes Wesley mercifully is not in it very often. He's looking more and more like Elvis these days. <laughs> what? I notice he's got a little young Elvis look going. He's got a little greasy kid stuff to his hair, and it looks like they're working like his like they. Uh, he's getting those Elvis eyebrows. You know what I mean? That sort of uh, going on there. I don't know. Well, you know. If they'd have found him dead on the toilet in an episode, I would have been totally. <laughs> you gotta down wait, with that. wait for it. <laughs> That's the forty-some-year-old Wesley. <laughs> Instead, yeah. running a blog. 
That's all I got on this one. I don't think much of it. I, I got to be honest. I just, uh, you know, I know what they were going for. I just don't think it works. It, it comes off like a like space matlock or something. It's, it's just it's <laughs> not very exciting at all. I would be into having. I would be into. I think Andy Griffith would have made a great um, guest star on on Next Generation. He was probably alive yep. then too. Oh yeah, but just yeah, that's right. He was doing Matlock. They could have had yeah. him and Don Knotts on it. There should have been a crossover episode. Now I wish we had Luke Jack and Eddie here because he doesn't mean Don Knotts. <laughs> well, next time around, as you said before, the return of the Next Generation comics, and now I know you haven't seen this. Like I said before, we got recording. I I don't want to build this one up too much because I don't want you to watch it and then be disappointed. But I, it it just bears saying, one of the all time great episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation, uh, yesterday's Enterprise. This is a solid episode that I really hope that you like once you see it because I adore this episode. I think this episode is fantastic. And a lot of cool shit comes out of this episode, too. So definitely looking forward to that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. Well, I'm also excited about the return of the Star Trek comics because I actually have a good run of these Next Generation comics in Mm -hmm. physical form. Right. Which I I don't like reading them on my laptop. So I'm really psyched that I get to read, (laughs) actually read them. (laughs) <laughs> and I've had them for a while, and I think I got them from you. Yeah, I got most of mine from Mike Bailey. Mike Bailey gave me a bunch, and then um, and I'm not sure where I got the doubles. but you I got the, the doubles, doubles from Gil Gerard's wife. That's right. And That's right. How can I forget that? That's right. I, I Yeah, and then I scored a big bonanza on doubles. I think I think like the, fr- the second time I came, when I came down for Star Wars Weekends, is when I went back with a big box of Star Trek comics. Yeah. I just had to buy two more short I bought I, instead of buying a long box I bought two more short boxes to put them in random places because I've had one I have one long box and it's dedicated to Star Wars and Star Trek comics, but I've I have a lot of comics that are out of the boxes and have been pulled out or that I've gotten new that had to go back in the long boxes and I just found everything started you know I couldn't cram them in there and then I realized I got more Star Star Wars and Star Trek comics that I'm sort of got my eyes on so I finally separated my Star Wars and Star Trek comic collection and have my Star Trek collection in a in a short box now which actually doesn't have a lot more room in it. <laughs> it's up quite a bit of room, especially with those Enterprise logs in there. And my and my Star Wars collection just only ha- has some some room for more Star Wars comics. But I'm looking forward to those starting up soon enough. So, I think we got some exciting stuff coming in the new year. I'm I'm looking forward to all the new stuff coming down the pike. Me too. All right, it's gonna be nice. I think I think it's going to be cool getting back into the comics. I agree with you. You know, we've had I mean, I've got pretty much a a pretty damn near a complete collection of these next gen comics and read precious few of them, so I am looking forward to that. I, That's going to be I wouldn't mind at some point having all even the Marvel, all the Star Trek and Star Wars all the Star Trek comics. Star Wars is a pipe dream because of Dark Horse. But all, I would right. lo- I would love to have all the Star Trek comics that pertain to next generation and the original series at some point mm-hmm. you know that would be a goal that i would seek to achieve so that's why i'm leaving some room and you know i've got room for at least 50 or 60 more comics in my star trek short box so that should keep me for a while i only need one more volume of the gold key but then i i have maybe one or two of the marvel I have bits and pieces of the DCs, but if I recall right, none of them really go for a lot of money. I was just going to say that very thing is that you know they they are out there to be had on the extreme cheap because off the top of my head, I can't think of any issue yeah. of Star Trek in comics as far as the latter you know the DC or Marvel stuff. Besides the Gold Key stuff that 
Yeah, exactly. The gold key stuff does just because it's old. You know, that's it. It's it's not particularly good or valuable. It's just it's old, so it's hard to find. So it can be a little yeah, pricier. But the other stuff was probably printed on way huger runs too. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and doesn't have the weirdness, nostalgia value of those ones. But um, yeah, so it's like you know, I know if I haunt eBay someday, I'll just pick up the run of Marvel comics for. 10 or 15 bucks or something like that you know something yep. reasonable if I just wait long enough and then I can pick off the DC ones I it, it looks like I've got quite a few of the Peter David ones too so I'm, I'm looking forward to when we get to those too I'm actually sitting in a chair and reading them they're uh the Star Trek com, you know, the again, this is the DC and Marvel stuff. They they seem to be a staple of convention cheap boxes. Oh, so, good. You know, when I go to a lot of conventions, I see, you know, like sometimes like the entire series in you know like the fifty cent bins or something. Yeah. That's where I acquired a lot of the issues I was looking for. And someday I'll get my shit together to cross my what I've got with a list of what there is and figure out what I need and really actively go to work at it. But yeah, I mean, honestly, other than issue, maybe like issue one and two of each of the long running series beyond that, I can't think of a single issue that really prices for for anything, you know, to where you'd have to, you know, you, you couldn't afford really it. Really you know work. I mean? Yeah, really work at finding it or get yeah. lucky with it or something. Yeah. So, yeah. And then maybe someday I'd like to do the same thing with the Trek books. But that would mostly be just I, if I was going to do a complete collection of Trek books, it would only be original series focused books. The the number one way to bring this all back around, the number one way to acquire Trek books, in my opinion, is to haunt Salvation Armies yeah. and Goodwills. Yeah, they're just most of there. my collection has come from those places. Yeah. I, and and you know, I mean, it's like a five to one ratio of you know the '90s ones to the ones before that right the 90 you know anything printed in the 90s and after next generation it, are just like when i go to secondhand bookstores and salvation armies there's usually a section of those you yeah. know and i usually avoid them because it's like ah i sometimes i've got a bunch of them i don't know which ones i've got you know i need to go in there with a list when i when i finally get to that point but i think i'm going to go for the comics first then maybe do that two things that helped with the books was that for one they flooded the market there was just way too much shit out there especially for for original series they were doing you know all that yeah peripheral stuff like vanguard and the the whatever that one was the sce books and all that so they they were just putting out in my opinion just putting out way too much product for the demand but then also when they rebooted it with uh, the Abrams Trek, you know, you had all these people that were just like, ah, screw it, and they were out, you know, so they just dumped collections. And those two factors have made Star Trek novels like super yeah. cheap and easy to find anywhere well, when where you, you find on, secondhand books. When you go on eBay, you see a lot of lots. <laughs> yep. A lot yep, of exactly. 56 Star Trek books and magazines, you know, stuff yep. like that. So, yeah. And they're not. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you could get you could get 50 Star Trek books for, you know, $50 or under. <laughs> yeah. And well, that you know, I mean, if there is one nice upside to reboots is that, you know, this is hardly exclusive to Star Trek. Anytime a, a universe gets rebooted, one of the very first reactions that happens is people just dump everything that they've had because they figure, well, this is suddenly valueless. I remember it happened after Crisis on Infinite Earths with DC Comics. It happened with, uh, well, you know, good. Like I said, it, with Star Trek, and it, I think it's happening with uh, with Star Wars. If that's you know, all they the, look at it as is its monetary value. Then good, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. be waiting to scoop it up. Yep, it's that's like, what I said too. It's like Sir Mixalot with the big butts. I will pick it up off the ground. I will take it and appreciate it.
If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Hell yeah! Shake it! Shake it! Shake that healthy spot! Maybe I track. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search 2TrueFreaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number 2. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.